If you have a Bible, if I could encourage you to turn in it or turn it on uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're using the, the pew Bible the, in the pew rack or in the chair underneath, if you want to turn to page 996, you'll be on the right spot where we're going to be this morning. Now, in honor of Mother's Day, I'd kind of like to start just by making an obvious statement about mothers, uh, and that would simply be this. Moms do a lot of stuff. I'm not a mother. That's fairly obvious, I would think, but I've kind of figured out that moms do a lot of stuff. In our case, Carrie is the mother in our family. I'm the father, and I sleep really, I did used to sleep really, really soundly. I don't anymore. We had, when our kids were little, I slept really soundly. So she was the one that always got up in the middle of the night to soothe and feed the baby. I never did. Don't follow my example, okay? But she did. Mothers also change an enormous number of diapers. Mothers also do potty training, and they are experts at the potty training dance which I will not demonstrate so that you do not lose your stomach because the next thing mothers do is they do a mountain of laundry, especially when the stomach flu comes to the house. And who do the kids want when they have the stomach flu? It's a conspiracy of dads to pay their kids off. They always want mom when they have the stomach flu. But moms have all those things. They have to do that stuff. As the kids get older, moms become cab drivers or Uber drivers, but they never get paid for that. Moms also seem to be ones who often do an enormous amount of help with homework. And inevitably, mothers are ones that will listen when their children want to talk, regardless of when that is, what time it is, wherever it is. And I find it interesting that there are some national organizations that are all about mothers praying. And mothers praying and praying and praying and praying. And I know in my own dad's life, he shared with me later in his life different prayers that my grandmother had sent him and prayed for him again and again and again. Why do moms do all of that? Why do moms go to all that effort? Why do they do that? I think that's a question literally every one of us should ponder as we kind of remember Mother's Day and maybe as you think of your own mom and those kinds of things. I think that's a question we need to ponder. Why do they do that? I want to shift gears to another why question. Another why question I think probably every single person should ponder, and and that's this. Why did God give us the Bible? In essence, why did God, we called this series Truth to be Told. We're finishing a short series, but why does God want to tell us the truth? Why? I don't think that's insignificant. Just like you and I should think about, why did our mothers do all those things? I think we also need to wonder, why did God go to all the effort of giving us the Bible? Now, our goal this morning in the the time that we have is really to try to answer the question, why did God give us the Bible? Why does God want people to be told the truth? And to do that, I ask you if you'd turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Really what we want to do this morning is basically look at just two verses. We will supplement that a little bit with some others. But basically we want to zoom in on two verses. Because in those two verses, I think there's three reasons there about why God wants us to know the truth. Why God gave us the Bible. So before we look at the reasons, let's just read the verses, kind of get oriented. So the verses read, 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, in those verses, three reasons why God gave us the Bible, three reasons why God wants to tell us the truth. Okay, reason number one would be this. God wants to communicate with us. Why did God give us the Bible? In part because God wanted to communicate with us. I want you to zoom in with me really, really quick on the first few words of verse 16. Let me just read those first few words again. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Okay, now in English there's four words, you know, breathed out by God. In Greek that literally is one word. It's not four words, it's one word. And it's actually a very, very unique word. The scholars, the people that kind of study this kind of thing, that get excited about words and where they came from, are reasonably confident this is literally the first time in all of history that word was ever used. In fact, most of them say, to be honest, Paul made the word up, or made up doesn't sound very good. You could say he coined the word. Basically, what Paul did is he took the word for God and he took the word for breath and he put them together. Now, the translators were struggling a little bit with what exactly it is Paul trying to say. They got some sense that whatever Paul's trying to say, it has to do with God breathing out. So there's a sense, folks, in which what the Bible is, is God's breath. It's God exhaling and all of a sudden, so to speak, words show up on a piece of paper. Now, we can say, oh, great, that's, that's nice, let's move on. Well, before we move on, I think there's something we need to understand. There's something about God, who God is, that has huge bearing on this that I think will impact and should impact how you and I view the Bible. Okay, one of the things the Bible will tell us about God and His character is that God is transcendent. Now, transcendent is probably not a word you and I use every single day, um, but really what it is, it's a fancy word, it's a fancy theological term. The Bible kind of communicates to say, God exists and doesn't need us. God's existence is totally separate from us. God could have existed forever and eternity and never made us never created us. They say, why are you bringing that up? Well, I'm bringing that up really because there's a huge implication I don't want you to miss this morning. And that implication is this. If God doesn't need us, if God simply exists in and of Himself, that means when He gets around to communicating, He chose to communicate. God literally made the choice. I have a message I want to share. Okay, there is no law anywhere, there's no rule anywhere, there's no commandment anywhere that says, God, you must talk to people. It's not there. But God chose to communicate with us. So part of what that means, part of the significance and the weight of that that I don't want us to miss this morning, is that when verse 16 says, you know, all Scripture is breathed out by God, that means God made a choice to communicate with us. It means that God, through the Holy Spirit, used the unique personalities of around 40 different human authors to give us this incredible book. And in one sense, the Bible isn't just another book. It looks like a book, and it is a book, but 
It's a whole lot more than that. We need to understand it was God making a choice to share a message with us. For me to talk right now, what's happening is my diaphragm and lung, my diaphragm contracts, pushes air from my lungs over my larynx so that I can make a sound. In a very similar way, what the Bible is was God. He's a spirit, so he doesn't technically have a diaphragm, but kind of bear with me in the analogy. He contracted his diaphragm, pushed air out of his lungs over his larynx so we could get this message. And realize, God doesn't need us. He doesn't have to talk to us. He, we are totally separate from him. He would have been complete without us. But get this, the Almighty God, the Creator and Sustainer of life and the universe said, I want to communicate. People need to hear something. And I'm going to go to the effort to lay it out. I'm going to give them something they need. They may not know they need it, but I'm going to give it to them. Why did God give us the Bible? Because He knew we needed it. He knew there was a message He wanted to communicate. Well, what's that message? Well, that's reason number two. God chose. Why do we have the Bible? Because God wanted to communicate. Reason number two, why do we have the Bible? Is because God wants to benefit us. God literally wants to bring benefit into your life, into my life. His message really is for our good. Look at all of verse 16 with me, please. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Okay, God wants to communicate with us. He doesn't want to just say, look at me, I'm impressive. He does say that, and we do need to realize how amazing He is. Okay, hopefully the first chunk of the service made that abundantly clear. But God also is saying, hey, I want to communicate some things that are for your good. I want to communicate some things that benefit you. Or in the words there, I want to do some things that profit you. Now, there's some things behind that, sort of implicitly behind that, that I don't want us to miss this morning. It would be easy to just say, oh, great, he wants to do something for my good. Great, let's just keep going. But there's something behind it we need to notice. The all-knowing God knows that we're needy. See, God doesn't need to share the message. We've said that, but folks, part of what's implicit in this is we need to receive this message. We need to hear what God has to say. We need to receive from Him. Now, I want to make sure that you and I don't miss out the fact that we need what God has to say more than we need anything else. We may not recognize it, but we need it, okay? So what I want to do is ask you, you can, it'll be up on the screen, it's just one verse in the book of Deuteronomy, but in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Moses was talking to the people of Israel and he was replaying for them, rehearsing for them their history and what God was up to. And in verse 3 of chapter 8, he says, and he, which is referring, Moses is speaking, he's referring to God, and God humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
Moses was telling the people, hey, you have a need you don't really realize, but you have this desperate need and you need something more than food. What you need, what I need, what every single person you will interact with needs is words from God. To refer back to something we looked at two weeks ago in this series, the disciples wanted to walk away from Jesus. A lot of them were walking away. And when Jesus asked the 12, are you going to walk away? They said, no. And then why? Because you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of life. We need these words more than anything else. Jesus kind of underlined that when Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4. The first of his three temptations, Satan was trying to entice Jesus to sing, not to sing, to sin. And he was saying to Jesus, hey, you're hungry. You've been fasting 40 days. You could turn a bread into, you know, you could turn a stone into bread. Now, if you're hungry, and now I'm talking about hunger, and some of you are all of a sudden going to be hungry. I need food. Yes, we do need food. But we need something more. And Jesus responded by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. You need something more than food. I need the words of God. Let me make an observation that might some of you might say I'm starting to meddle right now. Especially because we're going to talk about what you're going to do or how quickly am I going to end this message so you can get to your Mother's Day lunch. Okay? I'm going to guess the vast majority of you in this room like food. If we did a survey and I literally made you raise your hands, I'd say most of you would probably put your hands up. And some of you, because I don't try to creep on Facebook, but I've like looked at some of your Facebook accounts and some of your foodies. You know, like food is really important. Again, I am not against food. I want to eat too. Just so you know, one of my great fears every Sunday morning is, is the mic going to pick up my stomach grumbling? Okay, I like food. Food's not a bad thing. But here's the thing. I also know that some of you are really, really conscious about how long am I going to preach for. Because it's Mother's Day and the restaurant you want to go to is probably going to be extra crowded. And they may run out of what you want to have. And that would be the end of the world. And the truth is, it wouldn't be. Because what you need more than whatever that food is, is you need the words that God has to say. You and I desperately are in need. We don't really always understand it. But he has things we need. And God said, I'm going to communicate to you and I'm going to communicate a message you desperately need for your good. Please understand this. We have huge needs that only God can meet. Visually, our building hopefully reminds you of that. The the crosses. Why are they there? They are there to remind us that we have this huge need in our lives. And the only way that need can be addressed, and the huge need we have is we're separated from God. The huge need we have was for the Lord Jesus to die on the cross in our place for our sins and rise again so we could be reconciled to Him. We desperately, desperately, desperately need that. Those are words God communicates to us in the Bible. Those are words we need. So please understand, right implicit in verse 16, when he says unprofitable is 
understand you're in a need, huge need, and God's going to meet that. And you say, well, okay, God's going to be profitable. He's going to do something good for me. What are the benefits God's going to bring into my life? What benefit come from these words? Okay, real quickly, four benefits. Four benefits that come from God's Word that you and I need. Okay, benefit number one is this. What's God's Word going to do? These words spoken to me. Benefit number one is teaching us the truth. The Bible can teach us literally the truth. Already mentioned the temptation of Jesus, but I'd like to just have you mentally go back there with me for a second. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, recorded in Matthew 4 or Luke 4, Satan offered some really nice-sounding arguments to entice Jesus to sin. I mean, if you hadn't eaten for 40 days and you had the ability to turn a stone into bread, like that does sound pretty good. I mean, that's attractive. But here's the thing. Jesus could see right through those enticements. He could see those were setups. Those were a trap. But do you and I see that? Do you and I see that Hey, there's an enticement. It sounds good, but is it really good? I think each single one of us desperately needs the truth. And so a part of the benefit of the Bible when it says in verse 16, profitable for teaching is telling us that the Bible, God's message to us, is to teach us the truth. It's to tell us what we desperately need to know. Here's the thing, folks. You and I can get really mixed up if we don't have a precise grasp on the truth. If we've got part of the truth and part of it we're confused about or or there's some lie mixed in, we're in huge trouble. You say, where are you coming up with that idea that that's a problem? Well, I'd encourage you to read Genesis chapter 3. And you'll see in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve get a little confused. They get a little distorted on what exactly God said in Genesis chapter 2. They got a little mixed up on the truth. And every single one of us has paid a price as a result. If we get distorted on the truth, we are in trouble. So God says here, let me lay it out. Let me give it to you clearly. Let's not miss this. So part of the benefit of God's Word to us, why did He give us the Bible? He wants us to know the truth. Benefit number two, exposing our sin. The second benefit of God's Word is it will expose our sin. Now, I realize it's Mother's Day and you're supposed to say nice things and happy things and now I'm going to talk about sin. Okay, if we're going to talk about sin, there's at least two things I think always need to be in our heads when we think about sin. Okay, two things. First, sin is an act of treason that deserves death. When you and I commit treason, we literally, when you and I sin, we are committing treason against God. And if you were to look at the Constitution of the United States of America, there is only one, from what I understand, only one crime and one punishment that is detailed in the Constitution, and that is treason and the penalty of treason is death. Okay? Sin is not an insignificant thing. We need to get that. Okay? Second thing I think we need to understand about sin is sin is the cause of destruction and damage. When sin happens, whether it's sin done to us or sin we do, people are hurt. 
You're hurt. I'm hurt. We hurt other people. Sin hurts people. So much so, so much is it, it's bad and it's disastrous. That in John chapter 5 and in John chapter 8, the two stories are told of the Lord Jesus touching some people in significant ways. John chapter 5 is with a man. John chapter 8 is with a woman. And in both places, after Jesus does some pretty significant things in their lives, as they get ready to leave, he says basically the same thing. Go and sin no more. None of us need to sin anymore. There is ample damage and destruction. We need no more of it. Okay, we need to keep that in mind when we talk about sin, when we think about sin, think about our lives. Now, having said those two things, those are somber, serious things about sin. Here's the issue, though. I don't think you and I often see our sin. It's bad stuff, but you and I don't always see it. Let me give you an example. An example of someone who can act like sin is a non-issue. King David, man after God's own heart. It's an easy example, so we've used it numerous times. 2 Samuel chapter 11, what does David do? Well, he commits adultery, and then he has Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed. I would say by virtually every moral list, everything, that people would say adultery and murder are wrong. David just keeps going along. It's like, didn't happen. Like, it's not that big of a deal. He doesn't seem to be bothered by it in a sense. So what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 12, a long time afterwards, not like in the instant, but there's a noticeable time gap. David has to be confronted in a creative way by the prophet Nathan for him to realize he sinned. It's as if David was blind to his sin. He didn't see it. He ignored it. And his blindness created more and more damage. I mean, you think about it. Ask Uriah, does sin damage people? I want you to notice in verse 16 the word reproof. Okay? The idea of that, one of the benefits of God's Word is that God's words really will expose our sin. There are times, folks, where we'll say to people, you need to read the Bible because it will comfort you. Or we say, you should read the Bible because it will inspire you. And the Bible is very capable of doing both those things. But a lot of times before it ever gets to doing those things, it's going to expose our sin. And you say, why? Because our sin really is why there is a significant issue. See, we're not going to be in a good spot if our sin isn't exposed. So God, literally, in His goodness, is going to pull back the veil and let us see our sin. Why does God do that? Because God doesn't want us to stay stuck in our sin. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you haven't realized that Jesus died in your place for your sins and rose again, and you haven't come to that place where you've trusted Him as your Savior, I want you to understand part of the intent of the Bible is to tell you, you have a huge need and there is only one solution and that solution is trusting in Jesus Christ because of what he did in your place on the cross. The Bible wants to tell you that. Why? Because God does not want you to be eternally dead. He wants you to know life. 
if you know the Lord Jesus. The Bible also wants to expose your sin because, yes, you've trusted Christ, so you've gone from being separated to being reconciled. But if you and I are dabbling in sin and playing with sin, that relationship's not going to be everything it was intended to be. And even more connected to that, your life's not going to be what it was connected to, what God desires for you. We spent a number of months this school year going through the book of Galatians, which is a book that talks about us having freedom to live freely as God desired. If you and I don't deal with our sin, if God doesn't expose our sin, you and I will never experience the freedom God wants for us. Literally, why does the Bible dump sin into our faces? So that the sin can be dealt with, so that you and I can have everything God desires for us. So the Bible for our good is going to expose our sin. Reason number three, or, or not reason number three, benefit number three. The Bible's also going to move us toward recovery. Part of the intent of Scripture, part of why God gave us the Bible, was to move us to a better place. I mean, let me ask you a very pragmatic question in a sense, very practical question. If sin damages us, how do we ever get repaired? I mean, how, how do we get repaired from all that damage? Well, look at the word in verse 16, the word for correction, or the words for correction. Part of why God gives us the Bible is He's going to use His words to move us in, a, literally, to move us toward correction. He's going to move in our lives so that the damage of sin gets repaired. We get, you could say, renewed. You could say, restored. You know, instead of us being this damaged, beat-up, junker car, He's going to come in and fix us. He's going to take that bumper that is bent and crooked and smashed in, and all of a sudden He repairs it. You see, God wants, by His Word, His Spirit will use His Word in our lives to bring healing to that disaster. He wants to correct us. He wants to move us toward recovery. Fourth reason, fourth benefit, excuse me, why God gave us the Bible is to develop character in us. Okay, developing character in us. At the end of verse 16, near the end of the verse, is the word training. That word training was a very well-known word, a very well-known concept in the, I just, I have to figure out how to bring in the word Greco-Roman into sermons every once in a while because I just like saying Greco-Roman. It just sounds cool to me. Yes, I am a geek. Okay, back to the sermon. So in the world that Paul and Timothy lived in, in the Greco-Roman world, there was a lot of training going on. And the purpose of training, and the word Paul borrows from, training was done. You would work with somebody. Effort would be put into a person's life so they would gain virtue. Now you and I might think of, hey, we're going to go to training so we learn skills. And I'm not saying skills are unimportant or we give people training so they grain in knowledge. Those are both good. But the ultimate point of training is virtue. The training of the Word of God isn't just so you know more things or can do more things. It's ultimately so there's a life of virtue. In essence, what he's telling us kind of in a shorthand way is God is going to use His Word to train us so that our lives are reshaped, so that we begin to have inside us what the Bible calls in Galatians 5 the, the fruit of the Spirit. 
So the Word of God wants to train us so that we are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God wants to use His Word in our lives so that the beauty of the character of the Lord Jesus comes on display in us. He wants to do that in your life and in my life. And I've thought numerous times this last week, a week ago, we had a lot of family here and I kind of came away going, how much better would life be in our household? if the beauty of Christ was more radiant in my life. How different would your workplace be or your school be if the beauty of the character of Christ was oozing out from us? How much more beautiful would our church be if that was true? And when Paul adds on the word training in righteousness, there seems to be an implied message that these virtues that are worked in, we're then supposed to put on display. We're to live out and people are to see them. What will God's word do in our lives? Why did God give us his word? Well, he gave us his word because he wants to bring those benefits into our lives. He wants us to know the truth. He wants us not to be trapped by sin. He wants to recover us. He wants to restore us. He wants to renew us. And he wants us to literally be the aroma of Christ. Well, why does he want those things? Why does he go to all the efforts so those things happen? Well, reason number three. Finally got to reason number three. I kept saying it so many times, but reason number three is this. Why did God give us the Bible? Because God wants us restored to live. Very, very simply, folks, the Bible tells us that God created us to be in a relationship with Him and to live out that relationship by doing things and serving Him. But very quickly in Genesis 3, we sinned and we're separated from God. And we've kind of been, since that time, not really quite able to do life and to live life the way He desired. God doesn't want that for us. So part of his message of his word is, I want to bring you back to what you were intended to be. Look at all of verse 17 with me. It's a simple verse, but ultimately is here's the big purpose. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In essence, verse 17 is saying, here's the big purpose of God related to giving us the Bible. And it's really twofold. Okay, the first really is tied to that word complete. Part of what God wants to do is to use His Word in our lives so that you and I become complete. The the word that's translated complete means right and proper. It means we are finally who we're supposed to be. He's going to move and work in our lives so that we begin to radiate who Christ is. I mean, the amazing truth of the Bible is for us to be complete, something needs to happen. So the Bible will tell us, hey, you need a Savior. And God sends a Savior. And he says, you need to trust the Savior. You need to turn from sin to God and trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. The Bible also will tell us that when that happens, then the Spirit of God comes into your life and the Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God in your life to bring you back to wholeness, to make you complete. That's God's intent, for you to be complete. 
And then being complete, sort of the second idea of the twofold purpose is this idea of then you're equipped. If you're complete, then you're actually equipped and you can begin to live the life God desires for you to live. A life, quite honestly, that Ephesians 2.10 tells us is going to be marked by us doing good works that God prepared in advance for us to do, for us to go out and serve Him, for us to go out and do things that honor and please Him. Why did God give us the Bible? Because He wants us to finally be able to live out the things He created us for. He wants you to live out the purpose He made you for. Why? Why? I would guess that throughout history, moms have had to answer an awful lot of why questions. And sometimes, those why questions can be incredibly aggravating. Why? 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 I'm pretty sure some of my mother's wrinkles and those kinds of things come from me asking why, mom, why, why, why? But the thing is, why questions can be aggravating, yes, but they're also some of the most important questions we could ever ask. Because if you know the why, then doing the what gets a whole lot easier. So why did mothers do all the stuff they did? Why do mothers do that? Why did the mothers we had up front here this morning do those things? Well, I would suggest that moms do all that stuff so that their children can grow up and really be ready to do life. So their children can become people who can contribute and bless others. Why does God give us the Bible? Why does God want the truth to be told? I think God does that so that people can be ready, able, and empowered to do life. So that people can be reconciled to God and then be able to go out and live the purpose God created them for. Why do we as a church say we want to be a church that trusts the Bible? Why do we say we want that to be core to who we are? Because honestly, we want to see the benefits of God flow through your life. We want to see those benefits of God's Word percolate through you. And when that is true, when God is doing that, we also want to then send each other out to put on display in the context and the places God puts us the beauty of the character of Christ so that you and I then can encourage other people to follow Jesus so they too can know God's incredible goodness in their lives and they can be the people God created them to be. Would you pray with me?